all got that voice in our head that tells us we can't do stuff. But some people are just better at not listening to it. And by sitting down with those people, asking them questions, and then you know, recording it and blasting it out on the internet, perhaps, maybe, I can help other people like me get out of our own way. Hey guys, welcome back to Closure Optional. My guest this week is Rowan Thomas. He, ooh, he's a filmmaker uh, presently, and he originally had a podcast, uh, was the only punk rock podcast at the time in about 2009, and he did it for a good long period of time before he stopped and then started making documentaries. And I've always really respected what Rowan gets up to. Before I even knew him as a person, I followed what DI Wireless was, which is the name of his podcast. And it just sort of embraced that simplistic do-it-yourself punk rock sort of nature. If you have an idea and you want to fucking do it, he'll find a way and he'll do it. So um, it was super cool. He This documentary that he did is called The Other Option, and it follows a bunch of Australian punk bands and the punk music scene in Southeast Asia and how crazy it was that there was nothing going on down there. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, because of kind of <laughs> poor Aussie bands that just wanted to go over and get some exposure and get some playtime up, went over there, all of a sudden they created this kind of massive scene of uh, Southeast Asian punk and hardcore. So... Uh, this is a really, really fun conversation. I don't know. There's all kinds of truths being told, all kinds of ideas about what it's like to be a creative person, what it's like to be a human being in general, and how to push through all the bullshit that gets in our way. This is the epitome of exactly what this podcast is about. It's about two people who barely know each other, telling a lot of real truthful things and having a deep conversation about how to be better people for ourselves and for the craft that we're trying to do. Um, but uh, I, I should warn you, the my fucking microphone, I don't know what's going on with it. My mixer is old. It was thankfully given to me by a friend, but it is fucking old and heating up. And every once in a while, just one of the microphones drops out. Like, it just doesn't record any sound. And halfway through this podcast, the cam the camera, the computer also stopped recording. So... Um, there's a tiny bit of sound issue for the first three minutes, but then it does seem to sort itself out. So it's fine after that. Um, just bear with me. If it is annoying, don't worry. You just, it does get better after about three minutes. All right. So we'll get into the podcast. Um, just quickly before I go, someone did mention to me that this would be important for me to mention this before the podcast starts and not at the end, like I normally do. Uh, this podcast is supported by people that listen to it, uh, through, Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Lorna Bremner. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can also check out your options at LornaBremner.com. Um, Patreon's a cool site where basically the people that are getting the benefit out of the content that I make can also support the creator directly. Like that way you know that your money is literally going straight to me to keep producing this podcast to hopefully get myself a new mixer uh, slash microphone set up so that this doesn't keep happening. And um, that your money's not going to some fucking corporate wanker that's going to spend it all on blowing hookers. Like by giving the money directly to me, you know that I'm going to spend your money on blowing hookers. 
Uh, all your options are there on uh, LornaBremner.com or Patreon.com slash LornaBremner. Thank you so much for listening, as fucking always. Thank you for your messages and your comments. Thanks for putting up with my stupid social media. Um, please enjoy this wonderful conversation with Rowan Thomas. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much for having me. Cheers. Thank you so much for coming down. No worries. It's a beautiful day on the Gold Coast, so I'm happy to be down here. Yeah, so what's going on with you out there now? So you, st- you well, we, I guess let's start from the beginning. You started with DIY Wireless. That's right. That's right. 2009. That's right. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. And someone said it to me. I was, down, I was actually down the coast just around the corner from here the other day having a beer with a friend, and he introduced me to one of his mates, and he's like, Rowan here was ahead of the ahead of the curve. He started a podcast in 2009, and it was Fuck, yeah. it's it's funny that it's like when I stopped in 2013 because I wanted to start pursuing visual stuff and, and filmmaking, documentary filmmaking, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it was funny that that's when it took off. Roughly 2013, when I said I've had enough, is when <laughs> it was like, and then within the next two years. Everyone was doing one. Um, everyone was talking to me about, oh, have you heard this podcast? Have you heard this podcast? And I was sort of like, no, I'm not in that game anymore. Like, I, I love my time doing it. But, yeah, I, I just got to a point where um, the way I describe it is I, I, I sort of hit my sort of – I was coming close to 30, I think. Um, and I sort of – a lot of my friends and my social networks sort of – they were starting to, to settle down and, and get married and have kids and things like that. And I was like, you know what? I'm not done. I'm not done – uh, creating still like finding out new things and and I was like you know what something I've always wanted to do is start interviewing bands and I was like Fuck yeah, I'm gonna do it and so I took my cue off a guy called Ronan Kaufman um, who you can google who wrote a book called New Brunswick New, new Jersey Goodbye it was about basically the punk scene in New Jersey growing up in the basement punk scene in New Jersey and he started doing podcasts in like 2006 or something and he got through 50 episodes before he started doing different stuff and I just took my lead off him I'm like this is amazing he's great he even started introducing visual aspects back then but um yeah I just got to that point where I was like I, I love media around I love media around um in particular music and I was just like when I used to pe- hear people get interviewed I was like in a in a not an egotistical way, I was like, I can do better than this. Mm-hmm. I can ask better. I can ask questions that actually tell a better story. Yeah, well, fuck yeah. I mean, the, the amount of times you listen to music interviews, it's the same fucking question. Nobody's listening to the answer. They've got this set, and and I mean, we've said it all the time, but like, it didn't show up to how obviously gross like corporate media type of style um, journalism was compared to podcasts until the podcast started exploding. And then all of a sudden we're like, yeah, that's the story we want to hear. That's the story we're looking for. We want to hear the people's real voices. Like what really happened to them? What really is going on? Who is this person really? Not some fucking scripted answer that came from a magazine. That's really interesting. I never actually thought about podcasting like that, that that's that it's rise is really about that, oh. that stripped back sort of thing about, Let's, well, let's ask important questions, you know. It, I think it came because um, people started seeing reality. Like, people started watching reality TV. Yep. And reality TV is gross as fuck, obviously, as we yeah. know. But it was like the initial rise of reality TV was like, nah, fuck this 
like built up image of what people are. You know what I mean? Like culture always rises and falls. We we'll get sick of the reality stuff and we'll want more produced stuff, like hyper produced stuff. And we'll go into like CGI shit. And then we're going to drop off of that again because each phase in culture is a reaction to the previous, you know, like that's what punk rock was, was a reaction to the overproduction of disco. So they were like, nah, fuck this. We're stripping it back. That's right. And I think that's what happened with reality TV. It was like, no, no, no. Hold on a second. TV's too polished. This is bullshit. Let's see the dirt underneath it. You know, let's see Paris Hilton getting fucked in the ass by someone, or, you know, whatever. It's and then once that happened, then it became and this is where shit gets corny. It's like then it became a market. And now you have the Kardashians where it's a scripted reality. And then podcasts come and go, not nah, fuck all that. Here's the rawness again. And and it'll get pushed somewhere else again because yeah. it'll start being just as filtered as your um I don't know, your enemy interview or something like that that a PR person's had a look at and things like that. But mm. hopefully not because the, the hopefully the power stays in the hands of people like you who are just Doing the getting thing. a hold of whoever they need to talk to and talk about what, what's important to them about whatever story so, sort of comes up. So Yeah, man. But yeah, it was uh, it definitely wasn't a... Th- when I when I started, it definitely wasn't a, a, a thing. Um, I, like I'm not, As I said, there was people well before me, so I'm not a, a trailblazer or anything, but I just... I just loved, that's where it came from. I, I just wanted to, the stories about the characters behind all the music and the songs and all this stuff like yeah. that, that's what I loved. Like I was just like, whether it be the the, the, the folding of a band or the the, in, the relationships behind it or the, the issues that they've faced, like that was what I loved. I, I loved um, that sort of stuff. I You know, I held some horrible interviews as well, but. Um, <laughs> what was the worst one? The worst one. I don't know. I think some of my early ones when I was doing my first few podcasts, I was just doing them with like local bands and uh, no one ever interviewed them. And sometimes I just let ourselves talk for way too long about way too much random shit. Like our, our mutual friends. Um, one of the, one of the loosest ones I've ever had is our mutual friends in a band called not okay, which is a punk (laughs) band from New Zealand relocated to, to the Gold Coast, um, they got hammered on vodka when we had our interview. <laughs> and like the end of the 58 minutes or 55 minutes or whatever it was, they were toast. They were done. And it was just like absolute ramblings. But, but bless that, that interview led to a, an amazing friendship and going on, the roads to, going on the road together and all that sort of stuff. So well, well, well worth it. Yeah, man. Yeah. Oh, that's the coolest shit ever. Like just being able to hang out with people and get to know people on that, that other side. And the, the, the real trouble is, I think, trying to figure out what's fun for you and what's interesting for others. Because there is, I mean, there's always like that fine line where you're just doing something for your own self-gratification. That's right. But like that, people do just want to, I, I think this is what Joe Rogan kind of did with the podcast world was that he made it more mainstream to just allow a person to sit in a room with a group of friends and listen to them chat shit. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. once once that, because probably at your time you were like, nobody does this, this is a bit too risky. But I, I imagine now like that, that would be in it. Like there's an entire channel for this where people just get fucked up together and just see what happens. And it's not my style of, of thinking because yes. I, I sort of prefer to like maybe try to have some ideas that you dissect. But yeah, like yeah. there's an entire market for that. Like people do that all the time. And That's so crazy. At, at the time you're sitting me. there going, fuck, this is not journalism. But it, <laughs> it, it was probably yeah. Yeah, it's, the yeah. start of what it is now. It is like that. And then, but I mean, uh, not necessarily the channel where people get wasted and hang out and chat together. I don't know how interested I'd be in that, but I definitely did start to appreciate the different elements that people 
put into interviewing people and that people could come at it because I was always very serious. I was like, I want to ask the serious questions. You know what I mean? I want, that was why I did it. I want to ask the questions that no one else is asking is what I tried to do as much as yeah, I could. And, yeah, and I just, well, I just wanted, yeah, and, and I took myself a little too seriously in that aspect, but then I'm happy to tell this story now. Have you ever heard of a guy called Nadwa, the human serviette? No. So <laughs> I, I, I 100% encourage you to, to go and find this guy. He, when I lived in Vancouver, I discovered him there because he's this guy, he's been around since like the early 90s, 80s or whatever, interviewing and he has now interviewed some of the biggest musical acts on the planet. And he's got this weird stick where he's this nerdy guy with the, like a, a bowler cap with a pom-pom on top of it. And he talks like this nerdy school teacher. And he's got a catchphrase that goes, do 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 But he is like, he's grown up in the Vancouver punk scene. And that was him being punk rock. That was him being different. He's got this nerdy punk band that plays. But he showed me when I saw, first saw his interviews. I'm like, this like this guy's not serious. This guy's not answering the most important questions. But when you go through all his YouTube clips, he has the most amazing approach to research that I've ever seen in my entire life. Right. He, I, I recommend anyone out there just Google Nadwa Human Serviette Pharrell Williams. So he did an interview with Pharrell Williams. Okay. Pharrell Williams is sitting there speechless throughout the whole interview to this guy just going because he I'm not going to give too much away but he he hands people these props and they're props that bring up memories from their whole career like back that no one else knows about and they're just it triggers a memory and it starts them talking about oh this was this part of my career or anything like that and then he brings out like this record that was like will be like the first record that they ever did in their basement and he's got a copy of it and these people are like how the fuck did you get this? And then it just starts this whole conversation about. Wow. So, but he was, but it's so easy to, to laugh this guy off as this jerky guy. And, but here he was delivering some, and he ended up, he's talked to Snoop, he's talked to Jay-Z, all this stuff off the back of his incredible research ethic. He just delivers it in this special little nerdy kind of way. But he's still asking important questions, you know what I mean? <laughs> or maybe not important questions, but que- questions that end up making an artist do everything like instead of, yeah, uh, you know, the tour's been good so far and blah, 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 to like, oh, I had, I had so much doubt in that part of my life. This was just me and my boys doing whatever we did and just yeah, they're, they're telling real stories about what you're talking about in podcasts. Yeah. They're telling real stories because he's triggering all these memories from these, these props that he introduced to people. And they're like, how the fuck did you know about this? Research ethic is like something I've never seen before in my life. Wow. He broke down Rollins once. Like, uh, Rollins was like the same. He's like, why is this nerdy guy asking me these stupid questions? And, and there's an interview from the 90s with Nardwa. And then he goes, he kind of goes, um, like, Rollins, like, look, do you have any important questions for me? And Nardwa just hits him with like, oh, I was about to ask these five questions. And it's just like, boom, knowledge of Rollins' life on him. And you can see Rollins, like, this is tough guy, early 90s Rollins, when he's still yeah. in Rollins' band and stuff. He just goes, it's, he's just silent for a while. He goes... Oh, well, you, you seem to know quite a bit then, and just totally <laughs> backtracks on this like hard. Go, go listen to, go to YouTube and um, Nardwa's stuff. Oh, it's that's amazing. Cool. Yeah, yeah, that's fucking awesome. Yeah, so. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the idea. Like, the, what people I think care about in general is seeing the human in everyone. And we, because we, there's, especially now, like, I feel like there's just this real gross movement towards the polished variety of yourself, the internet self. Because it's, it used to be, at one point in time, I think it used to be that famous people had a persona. 
And then yeah. they had hidden lives that we like we're yeah. never going to know about. And that's why TMZ exists, you know, all this shit. Like, uncover the truth of whatever Leonardo DiCaprio's life. But now, with Instagram, social media, all this shit, every single human being has an persona that they can be at any point in any time. They can create this online thing. And then they also have their personal life. Some of them are exactly the same. Some of them are not at all remotely the same. That's right. You know what I mean? So everyone has this ability to be that thing now. And so I think it's like we've seen too far beyond the curtain. We all know that everyone's capable of bullshit. And it's not really interesting anymore to be the polished version of you or the unpolished version. No one gives a fuck. Like what I think... It seems like we're moving in this direction of individualism in such a way that we're starting to understand ourselves and we get worried that you don't know which one, which version of that person is that you're looking at. Am I looking at the, the polished version that you're presenting to me? Am I looking at the real version of you? Have you really got your shit together or are you just acting like you do? And so I think what, where you tie that gap and what I'm most interested in is like what is the human struggle within being any variety of those things. Yeah. What's the real human struggle in being the musician, also being a dad, also being the guy that thought he wanted to be a musician but turned out he wants to be a potter? Do you know what I mean? Like all the fucking weird doubt and confusion that goes on because when you find out that Henry Rollins is afraid of fucking failure, you're just like, oh, holy shit, you're a legend. Like you're a hero yeah. to most people. And, and it all blows you away. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it kind of like, it breaks these people into human bits that turn you into yourself. Yeah. Does that make sense? You yeah. know, like the more you look at the real uh, diverse aspect of every character, of every nature, of every person, you realize you possess all of those in yourself. And then it kind of like lends you back to yourself in a way. Well, that's, and, and digesting all of that, I think part of it, we've already talked about growing up as uh, around punk rock communities, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think people in those communities, they have such a good bullshit meter that, <laughs> do you know what I mean? That, that they can, when they're seeing all that happening, they'll pick out the stories and the people that they that they want to learn from and they're like, I think that's a real, that, that's yeah. real and I can learn from that and all the other bullshit, they just let it fly over their heads. Yeah, yeah. Not that they're not impacted by... Um, the, the struggles that that creates about, you know, having self-doubt or anything like that. Absolutely, everyone is. But, um, yeah, when, when it's, when it's uh, taking in all that, um, all that content, I just think punk rockers in particular have a good bullshit meter to find the truth and, you know, and to, yeah. to focus on that and learn lessons from what's important out of what they're looking at. And we're able to take things less seriously. Like that, uh, I think I was drawn to those, like two things, two things we were talking about before, like punk and comedy. Mm. As a little kid, like when I was growing up, those are the two things that were immediately calling everybody on their bullshit and not taking yourself too seriously yeah. all the time. And I think like the punk community itself also takes it itself too seriously. And every once in a while you got to get in there. Like, you know, you have the break no it up. Yeah. Just, yeah. Ugh, just fucking be a dick for once. You know, yeah. like I remember that growing up, like a lot of my friends, cause I grew up in Colorado. Um, a lot of my friends are real into country music yeah. and obviously like country and punk rock were always like polar opposites. Yeah. And I just, there was nothing authentic about it to me. I couldn't feel whatever the fuck was going on. It didn't make any sense to me. I felt nothing. And then my brother, my brother's a few years older than me, and he brought me home a Pennywise album or something. And I was sitting there listening to it just going, ah, this is what I meant. Do you know what I mean? All this time, this is what I meant. So whatever the fuck is going on here, this is the truth. Isn't it incredible? Isn't it amazing? I just love those... Uh, uh, I don't know how many people will be listening here, but um, 
one of my I'd, I'd millions, lo- I, I, millions, <laughs> the whole internet. One of the things I'd, I've always wanted to do, and um, patent pending, um, <laughs> copyright here. I've always wanted to. I've always thought a, a great um, coffee table book would be like the story you just told of like going around and listening to with punk yeah. rock was what was that moment. What was when you knew it? Because I know my moment when what I heard when I heard that record and, and things like that. I was like, "This is it. This is me." And you're talking about that moment. You're listening to that Pennywise record, and you're like, "This I is it." Get it? It was and like it, there's people out there that know what I mean, and yeah, I, yeah, I can't exactly. even say what I mean. No, but you, I, but I completely understand what you're talking about. Right? But, what was your moment? Uh, it was a, it was a Frenzel Rom record. Funnily enough, it oh, was sick. it was like. Um, yeah, it was my, my – I'd moved away from Bundaberg, which is where I grew up, um, going to school. I moved to Brisbane and um, then my mates who I'd left behind in Bundaberg started getting to surfing and skating. And then, I, like, I tried to digest Nirvana. I didn't know what Nirvana was at the time. I tried to digest Pearl Jam and The Offspring and I didn't know what anything was. And then they started getting into surfing and skating and then I remember my my best mate who I'm still best mates with to, to this day came and visited me in Brisbane not too long after I got there and he goes you should listen to this this is punk rock like I didn't know what punk rock was I was like oh okay and he put on Frenzel's um not so tough now their record I think it was 97 or something like that and that was it it was yeah. like it was just that moment where I was like this thing is fast it's funny it makes me feel good but it makes me feel angry at the same time like like understood, but also like, like one of us or something in a way. Yeah, it was just, I, I, yeah. you understand, yeah, it just clicked. It. it just made me feel right. Mm. And that was it. And then you, and then the way you knew it was for you and not for anyone else is you play it to one of your friends and you, they'd be like, or you play it to your sister and be like, oh, yeah, what fuck? is this? And then that's when you knew I'm me and I'm going to be with the people who understand this and, you know, yeah. the, the other people are just never going to get it and that's okay. That's fine. That's and do you know what's interesting about that? Like that, that saved me in a very like critical point for a long period of time. Like that was the thing that, you know, just created this community for me, made a really good friends of mine, yep. created an entire lifestyle for me. But then in a funny way, uh, as all things do, when you have these protection mechanisms that you develop, like that sense of community and understanding and, and singularness and individuality eventually turned on me as well because oh, it started 100%. limiting my options for being able to connect to and understand and respect other people because you definitely, as you probably have gone there's through. There's a like, rule book, right? When you get it. There's a massive rule book about <laughs> being a punk rocker. You're only allowed to like this shit, wear this, look That's like right. this. It's fucked, isn't well, it? Well, you get, particularly when you're younger, you think there's the rule book. Yes, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Exactly. Now that I'm a bit older, I realize there's all this bullshit. Like I can, I can love Ryan Adams. There's nothing wrong. Like he's adult. <laughs> no, you can't. He's adult. He's adult contemporary as fuck. But I, I can I can love him. You know what I mean. And and he, himself, he's a punk rocker. He loves Dag Nasty. He loves all this stuff. You know. So, but yes, I completely understand the limiting nature of it, and um, that's why you respect people within punk rock communities who have managed to completely be their own individual and and stuff like that, and and yeah. ma- maintain their own voice kind of thing. So. Yeah, but definitely yeah, a little bit particularly. Because it is, it's a funny thing. It's a, it's a, it's that attachment to like something outside of your parents. I mean, I talk about this a fair bit because um, I really love Carl Jung's general, uh, his theory. Are you familiar much with Jungian psychology? No, you can, you can tell me though. He's a, he's a student, he was originally a student of Freud and he's like one of the grandfathers of modern psychology. There, obviously a lot of their ideas and especially Freud's ideas are kind of defunct now that we know more about the brain. But um, 
Jung just has some really great like central points about the uh, development of a person. Yep. And one of his main ideas is that like, and it seems obvious now, but like as you are a little kid, you are this really dependent thing that's dependent on your parents to tell you how the world works and what yeah. the nature of the world is. And then you must go through this developmental phase where you have to break away from that in order to establish your own sense of self and identity. And that's when your peer group becomes your uh, sense of self. So you initially have your parents, that's your dependent developing years where your brain's developing. Once your brain kind of develops mostly, then you become this independent teenager. Yep. And that's when you become a cunt pretty much, you know. Like An angsty piece of shit. <laughs> angsty, yeah. horrible piece of shit teenager. <laughs> and that oh, my friends know better, you know, bands know better. I'm a punk rocker, fuck you, mom. That's right. And so there's that thing. And then what tends to happen is that a lot of people substitute, so we substitute our parents for our peer group. And then we substitute our peer group for our work group and our family life, and we just transition straight away. Instead of going through this independence and growing away from that and becoming an, our own individual, we substitute that peer group for okay. or whatever. And so then that's, that's your typical path of like, okay, finish high school, go to college, then go get a job. Now I'm this guy in a job. And then this is why we typically have a midlife crisis because once you get to 50 years old, You've done all of those things and you always had a substitute. Then, so he talks about us substituting the parents now for the government, government rules, regulations, and your boss. And then suddenly, so instead of ever growing up as an individual person, you have just replaced the initial need for a parent with all of these phases wow. of your life. And he says the key to critical um, development for an individual human and to actualize as an individual adult in truth, is to sever all of those ties. And that's usually what happens in sort of your 20s to 30s, where you, you have to take that step and just sever all of it. And so this is probably what, what you kind of started to notice, is that you're seeing these people that are, because they were strong enough to be leaders in the punk world at the time, they obviously were stepping out away from their parents, looking for a sense of identity. Then they develop this peer group, whatever. But then even that peer group, they start to grow out of it. Mm. So this is actually a sense of a really healthy development of an adult is that you grow out of that peer group and then realize, oh, fuck, I don't need to have a job because that's just going to replace my peer group. I don't need to believe what the government's telling me because that's just a replacement for my parents. I've got to figure this shit out on my own. And yeah, this right. is DIY nature. You yeah, know I mean, this yeah. is the ultimate DIY person, the person that goes, well, hold on a second. I appreciate what you're trying to tell me, but I'm going to go figure it out on my own. Yeah, and right. I think that uh, to me is like the kind of people I tend to be drawn to probably because I, I suppose it's a nature in me that I really want to grow and develop. Like I never felt particularly satisfied in any of these environments and it helpful, but then you always feel like, ah, it's kind of holding me back a little bit. I want to see what's on the other side of that curtain. Like what's out there? What's the other side? And when you start to notice these individual stories that people have, they're all people that have taken that time to self-actualize. Yeah. And they're the ones, when they come back, they come back powerful as fuck. Yeah. Because there is no, and it's scary though. Like I was just talking to my flatmate about this this morning. It is uncharted territory always when you're doing something your own way. Like, yeah, like I, I don't feel, we, we had a chat before this that um, uh, I, I kind of, I kind of moved from podcasting into a, a, a love of doing the same thing, storytelling, but documentary, you know, mm. filmmaking stuff. And um, I was telling you now that I've moved away from that DIY documentary based stuff because I've gone, I'm going to go serve my apprenticeship, actually learning, going on corporate sets, you know what I mean? Looking at, on TV yeah. ads and working for government clients, doing really boring stuff, but, but learn the, learn the, um, 
the visual nature and the production nature of what goes into production. But the whole idea of that is to hopefully one day when I learn, when I've done my apprenticeship, when I've paid my dues, I can come back and start telling those great stories again. And I talk to lots of people in video production work who do the same thing. They only ever wanted to step into the corporate world to be able to support themselves, but they still want to go and make short films. They still want to go and create in those sorts of areas. And what you're talking about is being able to have the strength to not get lost in what is your job, what, what, what is your job and being able to snap out of that and go, I'm going to go find my own way and, and do it my own way if I can find funding or if I can, whatever I've learned from my few years in the corporate well, yeah. world. Yeah, and having the courage to be able to step away from the corporate world, I think is, is a pure product of knowing that you've done it before. Mm. Because they, like, I think the people that tend to get stuck in those traps, and, I, and I, this is not said with judgment by any means, but the people that tend to get stuck in the corporate job trap yep. are ones that never had that, vacation outside of the you know what I mean like we all kind of have to go get fucked up for a while like I did it I did it in a major way (laughs) I went and disappeared in Darwin for for three years I was fucked yeah right and I kind of came back crawling back like Justin our mutual friend was telling me this he was like you know it was scary for you and it was scary for us that you were out there doing this thing and kind of disappearing into that thing but look how much you developed as a human from it. Like it was something you needed to do. And, it, and it's right. Like I've, I've always been, um, I've, I've always done it through relationships. Mm. Like I've had this lure, like we were talking before, I've been nervous to uh, do anything that matters to me because I've got self-doubt. So I'd always like stick with relationships or stick with safe things. And I just needed to jump off the fucking mm. deep end. That's right. And crawling my way back now, like I only have the confidence to do what I do now because I went as far off I think the rails as I could have gone without getting lost there's no substitute for character building it's one it's one (laughs) thing do you know what I mean like I'm not I'm not saying that 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 time wouldn't have been tough or or whatever for you or whatever you experienced but it's one of the things that I noticed after going through my life and I'm I'm about to become a a parent as well and and one thing that um, I've noticed is one thing I hope I take from my parents really protecting me from a lot of stuff is that it's going to be okay for your son, daughter, whatever to go and do some character building stuff. Like there's so much merit in it. You know what I mean? Like learning lessons that are sometimes tough lessons. Like, Well, and you wouldn't have learned anything about yourself the way you did unless you did the DIY podcast the way you did it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you're only going to be able to tell the stories in the future the way you can because you've done all of the groundwork yeah well I took the plunge you know what I was saying <laughs> it, it, it was it was that thing it was like and and I don't and that's not judgment on any of my friends that were like I'm gonna like I've hit 30 it's time for me to have mm-hmm. absolutely go and do that like like mm-hmm. there's absolutely no judgment in that but just for me personally I was looking around with my now wife and we were just like I'm not done. We went and traveled and all that sort of stuff. And that was just us. You know what I mean? I started the podcast. I wanted to tell people stories that moved into documentary film, you know, web-based stuff. And I was just, it was just a choice. It was just like, I'm not done going and finding out things. And it's that whole thing of like, uh, what's the, what's the, um, slow down, but never ever stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's fine. Like we all get, it's the difference between getting old and getting older. We're all getting, we all get older but people get old. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And that's that's I think that's all it is. Whether you you have a slower life, as long as you don't completely stop what what you're passionate about, that's a fine life. We're we're yeah. all getting older. We all have to 
we all have to go to bed, bed a bit earlier. I fucking do. I can't stay up editing podcasts and like film clips until midnight every night these days. But um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just that. But that's as long as I don't lose the passion for doing that somewhere along the line. That's fine. Yeah, man. Well, it's pretty intrinsic to your nature. And I think since you've found, like you spent all that time doing all those interviews and seeing the value that it brought you and the kind of life change, um, people that you met, the kind of people, I mean, the people that you interviewed, like looking at it from a punk rock perspective, at least you're sitting there, I'm like, holy fuck, you sat down with those people, you know what I mean? Like um, Duncan Redmond's, I just seen, that oh was one of your last ones. Like he's, you know what I mean? It's just like. If you got to experience the inside of the brains of some of the best people in that industry, and you can take that now, now then you go back into the real world, learn how to do it perfectly through the art of cinema, and fuck, man, what you can produce out of that is going to be amazing. Can I tell you a story? You asked me before we, we came and started recording about one of my worst interview experiences. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So can, I'll, I'll tell you, it was like I, I was... The end result is me in a bar in Montreal almost crying. And this is seriously <laughs> what happened. So I um, – Snuff came to Montreal when I was living in Montreal and I was like straight on to uh, – I had a, a hookup with um, the people who booked Snuff and No Effects in Australia, the PR person. I'm like, can you put me in touch with someone who's looking after stuff over here? Like Snuff are my, one of my favourite bands of all time. I, I might never get this chance again. They might never come to Australia. And so I was – and she's like, yeah, sure. And then – the way they were on tour with no effects and then it just turned out that like whoever was the, the the tour manager or whatever was just like oh so you want to interview fat mike and duncan together right and i was just like um and this was like a day before it was about to happen i had all my duncan questions ready to go and oh, then they're no. like so you're going to be interviewing fat mike and duncan right and i was just like yes oh, and so fuck. and then so i was like all of a sudden i was like holy fuck like i gotta do you know and then i was in touch with their manager have you seen the NoFX documentaries, that Kent guy? Anyway, yeah. their manager, so I'm in direct contact with him. And so I go down to the show, this massive show that they're playing together and it's very organised, right? NoFX are one of the biggest bands and they have all these media people trying to get a hold of them at different times. And their manager said to me, wait here by this door and when you're ready to interview, like you need to be here waiting by this door and Fat Mike will be ready when, whenever the door opens or whatever or there's some people in there now or whatever. And then I, I was waiting there for a while. I was like, oh, you know, nothing's happening here. So I went up and I watched um, Snuff Soundcheck and I was like, well, nothing's probably going on downstairs and, and whatever. I think I even went down to check and nothing was happening. And then Snuff finished their soundcheck and no effects came up. And I'm like, oh, Fat Mike's still here. You know, we'll be able to do the thing after that. And then Fat, uh, no effects did their soundcheck and then we went down and then like I went back downstairs and then no effects manager, Kent, walks up to me and goes, what the fuck are you still doing here? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? He's like, haven't you done your interview? I was like, no, I was like waiting for this door to be open and I've come down a couple of times and he's like, you're fucking done. Like, you know, you're an idiot. Why, like, why would you fucking not? I told you to stand here. The, the, you've missed your interview. Get the fuck out of here. And oh I just went God. and I was just like, not only have I missed this a great opportunity, but a guy who's had to deal with a lot of bullshit in his life, their manager, I know he has to be straight down the line. It just like made me feel like a fucking, yeah. like an ant. I'm not saying that was a bad thing. But then I, yeah, I'm like on my phone and my wife, like in this bar, one of my really down moments. I'm like, fuck this fucking podcasting shit. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm sick of chasing bands around and then, nah, nah. Yeah. Feeling and it like was, a piece of shit. I was, I was. And that's funny that you mentioned like snuff, like that was one of my worst experiences in an interview because, and what a great opportunity. It would have been, I would have nailed that interview too. I was ready for it because Fat Mike loves snuff. So oh. it would have just been like a cool interview to have. But, you know, shit happens. Oh. I, did, I think I did like, 
uh, it was New Year's Day the next day and I was like, you know what, I'm going to keep having a crack at this. And I did about 10 or 13 more episodes until the, the sort of documentary filmmaking thing came along. But Yeah, man. You definitely get shat on along the way, but if you just <sighs> stop after that, then there's, there's no there's no fun in that. You got yeah. It's so corny, but you got to keep going, you know. You do, man. I, I, my, I've said this a bunch of times. My biggest struggle on the podcast is just organizing people. I, I just, it's <laughs> I hear so that. fucking hard. And like the amount of sheer rejection, you know, just constant oh, yeah. rejection. And, it, and it's like, I know people don't know me. They don't know anything about me, but I'll, I'll reach the feelers out and be like, hey, I do this thing. Yeah. But I, I like, I'm critically aware that I'm not like known or cool or have this big following. So I've got no leverage. You know what I mean? I'm like, do you just want to come and talk to me in my shed? And then they say no, and you're like, yeah, I know. Yeah, why would you? <laughs> but, but, just, and then it's like, get up, go again. Yeah. Ask someone else. Just ask someone to just keep going. Because eventually sometime, like, the one thing that does keep me going, and I'm so fucking grateful for it, is that, like probably as you had, you have a niche following of people that are interested in what you do yeah. because it's a community. Yeah. And thank fuck for that. Like, I have at least a good community of people that will consistently tell me, like, hey, that was cool. That was neat. I liked this. This was a great idea. So then at least, like, it, at the very least, it just boosts me up. I'm like, I know, I know. On a shit day, I'm like, no, wait, there are people that can That's shit. why you need your tribe, man. Fuck yeah. Like, imagine if you didn't have that. You'd just be, like, oh, I, wall- I feel like wallowing in whatever, you know? Yeah, like shouting into an empty room. That's no. it. And then, like, you just look out and then all of a sudden everyone's walked out. You're like, fuck. Well, it's interesting that you say that. I can't imagine how you'd operate a podcast in today's media environment because I cannot imagine how much those, those particularly artists who have got to the stage where they've got a PR rep or, or something, right? And when I think about bands because that's who I mainly contact it. But if you step above the local bands and you're starting to talk about either a band that's touring nationally or you're talking to an international band, mm. they got a PR rep, you're going through them for the interview. I, I, I just can't imagine how many people are hitting... Like it was a bit oh, different for me because yeah. I was... The only I was the one, you know what I mean? I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but in 2009 when it came to punk rock podcasts, there wasn't really? anyone. It was one of the reasons why I started. I was like, no one else is doing this. I'm going to do it. Mm. And so... But I still had the challenge of people going... Who the fuck are you? Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't... Um, What's a podcast? <laughs> I, wasn't like, I wasn't a rep from Blunt Magazine or from Rolling Stone or whatever. I was just this dude who wanted to mm-hmm. chat to people, like any artist that I, that I felt inspired by. So, um, it, But I can't imagine the environment that you... I, I'm, I, I'm not saying that I don't know how many sort of bands you pursue, but just speaking to people who might be at a level where multiple people are trying to chat to them oh, at the I same know. time. Yeah, I mean... Oh no! And how do you, yeah? And how do you stand out? What's the point? Why why waste somebody's time? I mean, all of it. And basically, really, I I rely on my own interpersonal skills, chatting away to people, and be like, hey, I think we would have a good chat. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. And luckily too, like what I'm interested in is stories about people that do hard stuff. Yeah. So I am quite broad with the kind of people that I can approach because really, what I'm looking for again, like what I was talking about before, is this kind of like inner core humanity of everyone. And it really, it stemmed from me realizing that in my own self and pursuing all different varieties of creative or physical endeavors, I was still running up against the same walls inside myself. And I was like, oh, fuck, it's me. I'm the one that's the problem. (laughs) And then I was like, I wonder how many other people go through this shit. And that's why I wanted to start this thing. So it is pretty lucky. Like I can kind of space myself out a bit. Have you talked to many comedians? Yeah, yeah, a few. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay. The the sort of network of comedians that you know on the on the Gold Coast here kind of thing? Yeah. Their story interests me so much. Oh, like, they're amazing, I can... man. I, I have not met a sane comedian yet. Like, I haven't met a comedian that doesn't have a fucked up life story. Yeah. 
They, and, and I think, and, and it's the same, like I was just talking to a comedian actually just before, mm-hmm. um, uh, two podcasts ago was yep. a guy called Dusty Rich. He's a South African comedian yep. who lives over here now. He's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Like they're, it's, uh, he's on the level of kind of a, how do I describe him? Like the energy level and improvisation and speed of Russell Brand type yeah. of style character. But um, Dusty is just this like, yeah, he's an enigma. He's really, he's really hard to describe. You just have to see him happen. He, um, but anyway, so he was in here and just talking about where he fucking comes from. His, his whole, all the men in his family, he grew up in apartheid South Africa and the men in his family were on the wrong side, on the white yeah. people side. <laughs> and he grew up, he was 14 looking around going, this is fucked. Yeah. You guys are wrong. And they're like, how dare you? And he's like, no, you're seriously fucked. So he was having like physical altercations with all the male role models in his life, all the male figures in his life, everybody that's telling him the way the world's supposed to be. And he's going, no, you guys are completely fucked. And so, you know, physical violence, he had to escape all that. Drugs, comes back and he just found his own way. And the, the reason why he's so successful at stand-up comedy is because he possesses no fear. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Because he's been through that much shit. And, and, and this is something interesting I found about fighters as well. Some of the best fighters are the same. Because, like, imagine the people that love you the most and are the ones that are supposed to be guiding you through the world are, you are at risk of getting violently beaten by any of them at any point. So the people that you're supposed to trust the most are also the people that are the worst to you. After that, nothing is scary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, nothing nothing hurts after that. You know, being betrayed by the one person that's supposed to look after you, you're kind of like, fuck, I can do anything. Yeah. And, um, and, and some people, and I, and I think I get into dangerous territory talking about this a little bit, like the whole new world of anti-bullying and safe spaces and all this stuff. It's like, I appreciate we want to boost the growth of people's mental well-being, but at the same time, going through shit like that can either turn you into a victim or turn you into the most powerful version of you possible. Facing your own death and realizing that you're in charge is the, one of the strongest things I think that can happen to anyone. It's not easy. It's not nice at the time. And you need to have a good network of people around That's you right. that can help That's boost exactly you up. Right. But fuck, like, like watching the kind of powerful human being that a person can be that comes out of struggle like that, it's 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 incredible. It's the character building that I was talking about. You right. know what I mean? As yes, long as exactly. you can come, as long as you can come out of it, you know what I mean. The lessons learned as part of that sort of stuff. It's yeah, it's really important. I, I, the comedian thing just interests me because I'm like, when I was talking, when I talk to bands, often the thing I was interested in with them is like, what makes the difference of a band getting a roll on? What's the difference between a band who just slugs it out as a local band? Yeah. Same with a comedian. What's the, what's the difference yes. between yeah, the comedian yeah. who just slugs it out? It's really talented. Has a great why don't they make it? You know what I mean? And then, you know, uh, that was always an interesting part of stories. It's like, who who are the guys that get a role on? Is it really just that luck thing? What do you is think it, it is? Did you so think I think I, I've got it down. Like, I've got it down. So my points for how it's multiple things, right? So I think when it came to bands, and you could probably apply this to comedians, you could probably apply this to Muay Thai fighters, anything like that. So there's, there's multiple things. I'm going to try and remember them all now that I discovered. So one of them is... I mean, you have to be good at what you do. So let's talk about bands. You have to write songs with, that connect with people. You know what I mean? If you're, if you're a comedian, you have to tell jokes that make people laugh. You, you, you have to have that aspect of it. Next thing is you have to be a person who is, 
this is so corny, but willing to sacrifice. Do you know what I mean? And what that is, is sacrifice personal relationships, sacrifice a steady income. They're quite often the people that, that get a shot. In the band world, it was those young kids who are just like this. People say, oh, we just got in the van and we did that, but they didn't. Then they had to be home to go to work. It was the ones that were like, I'm just going to quit my job and just see what see what can happen. So one of the other elements of a band going the next step to being a band is you, you have to be a person that someone wants to be around. Mm. Laura Jane Grace has got a great great quote about it that they talk about being a polar bear and a polar I can't remember what it is but it's basically be someone that not is not only good at their job but someone wants that someone wants to be around so if you tour with an international act and they're like you get an inter an interaction with them they're like fuck you guys are good people I'm having fun with you Mm. of course they're more likely to say oh can we get this Australian band on a UK tour or something like that it's just be a band that people want to be around and then yeah the last one is dumb luck you play in front of the right person who puts out your record and they have a bit of pull here and there and you start touring and away you go yeah I I always love that element of like who 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 gets those shots and who doesn't yeah me too I've always wondered that like what is it and I even I like to think about it even like to the sense of one particular piece of artwork or one song, yeah. you know, like one sound. Like what is it that makes that thing it when something else is very close but not it? Like what is that thing? Like some nights, because I'm a humongous stand-up comedy fan. I just I constantly spend my time watching it, thinking about it, and I go and watch a lot of live comedy, and. It's just fucking mesmerizing to me to watch even the same person do the same act over and over and over, and some nights they are fucking on. It's just it. And then other nights it's just not it. And they could be the same jokes, they fucking exact same delivery, exact same energy, everything. And some nights it is, and sometimes it's not. And it's really amazing to me. I'm always trying to figure out, like, what is that magic? It's that, I think it's, well, my opinion would be it's one of those points that I came up with, it's that connection. So the artist yes. that, that, writes, yes. that writes a song... And someone's like, whether it's just the melody or whether it's the lyrics, and they're like, fuck, that's a good song. It's one element of all those band things that I was talking about. But mm-hmm. on, for a comedian, it's that night. What, why do they go off that one night? Because people connected with it that night, you know? Yeah. They, they got off that. It, it, it was no longer the person standing on the stage and the person having their drinks and telling some jokes. They were just like into whatever that person was saying and having a laugh. It was they connected with them. And that and I and I think too, it comes to the human connecting to themselves. Yeah, you right. Know, like I think that so much of the time when in my own personal experience, whenever I find myself too involved in myself, like if I'm sitting here doing a podcast, like, okay, I've got to make sure I say something smart or be interesting or be cool, be then I'm fucked. The whole interview sucks. I don't like it. I don't like listening back to it. I feel like I'm trying too hard. And it's the same with when I'm drawing. I'll sit there and I'm like, oh, this is going to be, oh, I wonder how soon I'm going to be able to take a picture and put it on Instagram. It's like, no, just fucking throw it away. Like, don't waste your time. And then there are other times where I'm lost. I forgot that six hours just passed and I finished and I look down and go, oh, shit, I drew something. You know, like the absence of you in pure connection with that thing that you're doing in this pure, you know, everyone talks about it, the moment, be in the moment. Yeah. And it seems so fucking wishy-washy, but when you actually feel it, like in that moment when the comedian is 100% embodied in themselves, committed to what they're saying, even though they've said it 3,000 times, tonight they're saying it in a way where they are like in it, yeah. inside it. And then the crowd feels it and then the crowd jumps in. You know, it's like we're all on, you know when you say people are getting on board? I mean, literally you're on board with somebody and after it's over I feel like and even when I do interviews like this you know like sitting down in a room I never even call them interviews I always just say doing the podcast because I don't even know what the fuck this is but like you sit in a room with someone you have a mad conversation with them after it's over it's like 
it's like we create an alternate dimension in here for that little period of time. And then you walk back out and the real, real world restarts. But it's like that moment is fucking amazing. Yeah, cool. And it's so hard to find. Well, that's why it's good that you're doing it in that way. You know what I mean? Mm. There's no, um, you're happy just to, to sit down and have those types of conversations that are going to bring those stories out. And that's, um, that's definitely something I can respect. So that's cool. And, cause it, and I think it, it resonates. It resonates with everyone. I, I think every human being has got an ability, like a little antenna that picks up connection. And, yep. and like you were talking about before, like uh, people in the punk rock world have this like really strong bullshit filter. Yeah. People in the comedy world absolutely do. Yeah, yes, definitely. Too. Definitely. <laughs> You, because that's they their scare job. me a little bit in, in For back sure. sometimes. Eh? I mean, it's your job to like point out when someone's doing something yeah. stupid and point out and take the piss way. out of it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and and that's what's so nice about it because it's like don't take yourself so seriously, and I don't either. And we're gonna have a good time. Yeah, but if you start to you know getting a bit uppity, yeah, oh, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> it's not in no no meanness, but it's like I don't need to talk to a costume. Yeah. I don't want to talk to a human, but um. I have no idea where I was going with that. I have no. Well, I, I was. I'm really interested in your. Um, it was one of the quotes that's in your intro about the. And I'm sure you talk about this on this show. I don't know. I'm assuming a lot, but um, that idea of what we're talking about about fear and 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 things like that. How I think you're. Uh, you talked about people who pursue things and do well in things mm-hmm. that we all have those thoughts saying we can't do. I think your quote is yeah. like we all have those thoughts saying we can't do things. It's the people who can push them aside and actually go and do it that. Yeah. Get out can, of their own yeah, way. that can end up like achieving something really cool, and I, I just love that because, like, I 100% have those same doubts. Like the people closest oh. to me see it and stuff like that. Um, we all do, and I just think unlocking that is just like, um, like you know, you have to, but how to tell your mind to do it? Mm. Like we're having a conversation about this is what you need to do. You need to be able to push this to the side, and you can you can achieve great things. Mm. But then you and I will sit down and try and achieve what we actually want to achieve. And then all those doubts come flat. Oh, I can't because of this and this and that and the other. And it's like unlocking that ability to push that to the side. That's why I love that quote from the intro Fuck from yeah, your podcast yeah. is like, like ha- how do I reduce that fear level? You know what I mean? That everything's going to be okay on the other side. And you just touched on it, man. Like as far as every single person I've ever spoken to on this podcast yeah. and people outside of it, it always comes down to fear. Yeah. And and the fear, and this is why I think what we're bringing up Dusty, like why Dusty's so magical, is because he, as far as his art craft is concerned, he's dealt with that fear. Mm-hmm. There is yeah. a, there is a huge fear, mm, yeah. and and his fear will manifest in other ways. You know, his doubt comes up in in other areas, and there, and you know, like you could look at somebody who's a really great improv improvis fuck that's a hard word improv improvisational <laughs> comedian, like that can come up and just say whatever the fuck comes out of the top of their head. There is an argument that, yeah, but how good is his writing? You know, what I mean, how good is he at putting together a clean, tight hour that would work? Uh, across all cultures across the world, you know what I mean? Wow. How could he could he tour an hour? Yeah, okay. And that's a good question because it's like that's a totally different art form. That's yeah. a totally different craft. So Dusty may have a fear in that world that's different than the fear in the improv world. Who knows? I mean, and as far as I can tell, Dusty doesn't seem to possess much fear about anything. As far as stand-up is concerned, that yeah. he's at home there. His fear comes in day-to-day life shit. You know, like just figuring out how to do yeah. the taxes. So we've all got them and where where we tend to focus, and unfortunately, I think for most creative people, and you're probably the same, is fear manifests the strongest in the points that are the most important to you. Right. So where and Stephen Pressfield, have you read this book, no. The Art of or The War of Art? 
It's great. It's a great, uh, fucking awesome book. I'll try. I think I've got a copy of it. I'll try and send it to you. Um, so it, he talks about the idea, anything that brings up fear in you is a thing you must pursue because your greatest point of resistance is going to be your greatest growth. So everything, anything that means the most to me, i.e. my artwork or creativity, I've always found all, ways to get around it and then it sucks me back. And it's always because I was afraid of facing the fear at the time. I needed to go learn something about myself and then come back. And it, the annoying part is, is that it takes a really long fucking time to figure out you're in that cycle until you fucking commit. Yeah. And like I said, they're, they're cliches all the time, but it's exactly what you just said there. And oh, it's, it and it's like uh, you, you start learning and you start experiencing things when you're outside your comfort zone and like they're all cliches and we're all saying them and we all know them but how the fuck do you actually do it you know what I mean so and that's why you respect these people that whether it be a band just jumping in the van and going fuck we'll we'll just work out what happens you know what I mean they're just letting everything else go and just doing that as long as they combine it with all the other things I was talking about then they're a chance of having a crack at doing it for a living or just getting experiences that they never normally would, you know? What do you think your central fears are? Oh, geez. That's, that's a a pretty full on question. Um, (laughs) Well, come on. I barely know you. Yeah. Look, it's, look, I've, um, I actually just had a a chat with a friend about this. Who's just been through some mental health stuff and, um, uh, was just talking about how I, I knew I had, I've now recognized that I had anxiety when I was younger and it manifested in sports because I was quite successful at a couple of sports and didn't take the final step of, of making it into a professional um, realm because, and it was so much of it was mental. I recognize now because I got to the point based on my mental upbringing that I got to the point where I, when I was going out on the field, I was more focused on who was looking at me, whether I was performing enough to go to the next level or and or um, what were my teammates thinking about me? What were my coaches thinking about me? Was this going to be good enough? Mm. And you froze, yeah. and you started like I was I was a cricketer, and you just started performing horribly because it was a it was a mental thing. And I saw all the guys that went further than I did, who I was all part of that. When they are in those moments and the pressure was on and blah blah blah, instead of them thinking about all that stuff, they're just like, I'm going to do this. Yeah, and they just they they got a person out or they hit a boundary or they did whatever. And, and of course, those were the guys that had talent and hard work. But in those moments, none of that other stuff came into their head. They were just like, they recognized the moment and went for it. Whereas I would go back in my show and goes, I don't want to be the guy who loses this game for the team. Yeah, yeah, you know, it's, yeah. it's such a cliche for all these sports people. And you've heard a million sports biographies and not that like, I'm definitely not from, particularly in my later life, a jock world. But there's so much can be learned from those guys in that sort of stuff. Yeah, they did the same thing. They just let all that stuff go, recognize that they're the moment. They're like, I'm going to be the guy who fixes this on yeah. the field at that sort of time. And it's the same thing. It's letting go of that fear. Did you feel at those moments that it was like an like unachievable mystical thing that they had that you didn't have? Like that yeah, you were like... Definitely, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely. I was like, how can you be the guy who's like, give me the ball now? Yeah. I'm going to win us the game. And I was like, fuck, like I, don't, like I don't want to be the guy that's like lost us the game and then my coaches will hate me and my teammates will hate me and will I make the next team and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And it didn't matter. I should have just been in having fun at what I – and, and when you go back and you're off the field in those pressure situations and you're just having fun, 
that's when you end up doing really well and coaches are recognizing you and go, man, this guy's good and stuff like that. And, and then it, it's endlessly you beat yourself up about it because you're like, I know I'm capable. That's right. well, but why it, didn't I do it? it was a mystical thing. It was like, mm. what? And then, and then you start judging yourself even more. Why did he make it and I didn't? Yeah, and you go, they have it and I don't. They have it and I don't. And that, this has been a mantra for me my whole life growing up. Uh, th- there are people that have it and then there's me. And then I realized, um, and I still fucking daily am working on this, and this is like a daily mental practice, that that thing, that essence of itness, I think in my experience in interviewing these people and, and hearing what people have had to say about this, because these I'm talking to people that I've assumed ha- were it, and then all of a sudden I've met them, got to know them, been friends with them, and realized that they're as much it as I am it, that we're all it. Every single one of us is always it. Um, it's your perspective and where you're pedestaling people or not. Okay. You know, that's your relationship to them. So this is where you're putting yourself next to them. That you're creating the pedestal, not them, which is fucked. But I'll, I'll explain the kind of mystical thing because I think this might help you. It helps. It f- majorly helped me. Is that um, if you can imagine that what happened to you on the field is that you turned yourself inside out where they went inside. So at the moment where you are starting to think about other people, you basically turn yourself inside out. Mm-hmm. So if your body is turned inside out, there's no physical thing going to happen, right? Because all of your energy is outside and you're looking outward. Whereas these people, have, through some miracle of self-confidence perhaps, or they don't have damage in their life or they don't have self-doubt... Um, or they, a lot of times it's a lack of intelligence, which I'm not saying all athletes are not smart, yeah. but usually a more intelligent person has this has a hyper-awareness of what's going on. Anxiety is also related to intelligence, so unfortunately, sorry, you're stuck with it. Yeah. But um, because you're smart enough to be aware, and then and they call it hyper-vigilance in psychology, and that's in a state of anxiety, you're hyper-vigilant because you're aware of the threats. Yep. So your hyper-vigilant kicks in when you start to get um, a bit of nerves. You become hyper-vigilant, which means you're more aware of what's going on around you. And that means that all of your energy starts going outward. Mm. So your focus is external. Your focus is no longer internal. Those people um, have the ability of turning their focus inside. And the way that I've learned to do this, and which I help with some of my clients that are struggling with Muay Thai, is just to sit down, close your eyes, and squeeze your fists together. Yeah. And feel the inside of your fingers. Yeah. Feel the inside of your toes. And do it, take three, five deep breaths, whatever it is, and then go back to doing what you're doing. And all that does is as you're about to turn yourself out, it turns you back in, reconnects you to your body and brings you back into the present moment. How did you learn this? Um, through reading or your own knowledge or reading through extreme psychology study, just because I was a mental case and I needed to sort my brain out. I've never done any degree in psychology. I've just read like thousands of hours of books. And how have, how have people that you've given that, um, advice to immediately stopping anxiety attacks. It was originally, I learned how to do this because I was getting constant anxiety attacks and I, I just like out of nowhere, nothing was happening. I would just like fucking have a breakdown. And so I needed to stop it. And a lady, I'm actually, the, next week's podcast is all about this. I, I do once a month, I do a solo podcast where I yep. just talk about an idea. And th- it's all about this. And it's this idea. She's a Buddhist lady. And um, she taught me uh, how to just return my energy inside. And then I have a trainer, a Muay Thai trainer. That, so I've, through many peripheral channels, I yeah. figured out to do Muay Thai. It brought me back into my body outside of my head. And I was like, oh, fuck, this feels really good. Yeah. This is the same thing that this Buddhist lady was teaching me about being back inside my body. And then I met a trainer when I moved to this gym 
who lives by the same philosophy. And so I get to every once in a while have the magic of sitting down with him. And he's so smart oh, and lucky. very lucid. Yeah. And we just sit and talk about it. So this is a very physical, beat the shit out of you kind of guy who is Buddha nature. You yep. know what I mean? He's like a very Zen kind of guy. So anyway. So do you find, like, I'm going to use it. I'm actually going to use that. I'm not just saying Absolutely it because I'm sitting here. I'm going to use it now because I'm just applying it to my current life where I've told you before, I've, I've, I've sort of moved into film filmmaking whatnot and i'm sort of serving an apprenticeship um working on you know corporate social media videos and all this sort of stuff but i still i now recognize there's still that anxiety of when you're on a set and you're trying to the energy's going out you're trying to cover every problem that could possibly happen on a set you're trying to make sure that everything is in place that it needs to be and when all that and now it's making sense to me because you describe it because i'm thinking about all that's going out that's when you start to lock up and you freeze even if it's in preparation for the day, the day before, when you've got so much gear to organize, cameras, batteries, whatever. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to cover every scenario, all that energy starts going out to those scenarios. So yeah. I'm going to start when I... And you're, I still experience that today when I'm getting ready for these jobs. Like it's, oh, it's, it's honestly, it's... Uh, it's fucked, man. And, it, and it's, a, it's a real classic trait of a smart person. And yeah, okay. Especially a smart, capable person because you're capable of thinking of all the end Overthinking scenarios. things yes. in a way. Oh, fucking Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And the, and the funny thing is, like, when you actually think about it, when you're thinking about the things that could go wrong, you're actually just fantasizing. Like, those are fantasies. Okay. They're not reality. Yep. In your head, you're thinking, oh, that's a reality. That light could fall over. And you're like, yeah, it could, but it's not. It isn't presently falling over. If it was yep. falling over right now, I'd know what to do about it. Yeah, I yeah. don't need to worry about that. And, that. and the main fundamental thing underneath this, and this is the thing that actually you've already got sorted, so you don't have to worry about it, is having the skill set. Do you know what I mean? Like there are people that have a dream of being a Muay Thai fighter, let's yep. say. They train for three months, kind of half-ass it, and then somehow convince someone to let them have a fight, and then they get the living shit beat out of them. Yeah. doesn't matter how present you are in your body. If you don't know how to do a roundhouse kick, you're not going to win the fight. Yep. Do you know what I mean? You're going to get hurt. Yep. In the same way, if you don't know how to make movies, you don't know how to set your batteries up and yep. get yep. them charged and get the lighting set up, yep. you're going to fuck it up yeah. 100%. Yeah. So this comes back to... Uh, oh, and this is interesting too. Uh, so like if you're eating a meal and you're watching TV or you're watching a video or something, you don't really realize that you just ate because you weren't experiencing the meal. In the same way, like if you're anxious or thinking about other things while you're doing your craft, while you're practicing, yep. getting set up or working on stuff, you won't trust that you did it right because you don't actually have a physical body memory yeah, of doing uh, okay, it. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. Does that make sense? So like if you are physically present while you're practicing and working and thinking, you will also then, your body will retain a physical memory of having the skill. So you don't have to rely on, I know I can do this. Your body knows it can do it. Yeah, that's really there. interesting. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting, huh? Yeah, definitely. When you're on, I can, I can, I can apply that to being on set and like, am I going to roll properly on this? Is it going to be in focus, et cetera, et cetera, if you're like, if you're thinking inwardly about all that and you're you like, and, and, and you do it for one time, then you know when you've got to do it again for the next shot, you're like, I don't know how to do this. Yeah, I've yeah. done this before. I know but exactly. As, as I said, we, we talk about this stuff, but then controlling <laughs> the brain to actually do it. It's, it's easier. It's way easier in theory than it is in practice. It's, it's so easy to do in theory, but... Um, <laughs> It's just, I mean, it's like reading a book. It's like reading a fucking, uh, I mean, my, my newest gripe and the thing I'm constantly complaining about is these like fucking inspirational quotes on Instagram. Like, have you ever considered just like being yourself? And you're like, go fuck yourself. 
You got no, you, yes, obviously. Like one of my friends called me the other day and he was like, like, cause this is a, a, a philosophy it stemmed in Buddhist philosophy that I've been thinking about for five years, this idea of like coming back to the center, take a pause. Yep. It's probably most popularized in modern mindfulness, mindfulness practice. It's kind of the general fundamental idea of it. And my friend called me the other day, we're having a chat and he was like, have you ever thought about like, you know, just like taking a break, like relaxing and think, <laughs> fuck you, man. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've thought about it right now. I'm in a spiral. Of course, I've thought about it, but I can't think about it right now. But then, as soon as I it's step away from it, a bit too simplistic it. for my uh, spiral at the moment. Yeah. To, yeah, of course, I'd like to take a step back from it. But then, like you walk away, and like two two days later, after I've had a chance to relax and dig myself out of my spiral, I'm like, yeah, fuck. All I needed to do was just stop. You know what I mean? Yeah. In that moment, you're sitting there, like it's way more complicated than that. Yeah. Like, it isn't. Yeah. It actually isn't. Fuck. It's it's just really hard to tell yourself that at that moment. <laughs> It's such an interesting time. I'm not trying to get too broad here, but it's, uh, it's such an interesting time with all the competing things that we have on in our lives to, God damn it, isn't to stop it? that stuff. It really is. And it's so easy to compare yourself like, because there's so much content. Well, I take, I take, actually, I take break. I, I'm on one at the moment. I take big breaks from social media because That's of smart. it. Because, um, of course, you follow directors, cinematographers or stuff like that who, are, who you either have a connection with or anything like that. And then the way my brain works, which I've taken you through, that the thing is like, oh, they're doing such cool stuff, and I'm not. They're it. And then you, and then you, you're worse off. So I've just taken massive breaks off um, social media at the moment, and I, I'm actually when I get back on there at the moment, when I get back on, I, like I, I put the app back on my phone or whatever. You know, quite quickly I'm turning like, this is fucking bullshit. I don't need this anymore because I've had such a long break and I was like, I'm fine without it. Yeah, don't need it. The only trouble, like the hardest part is that uh, that's where your best free advertising is, unfortunately. A hundred percent. so and, fucking dumb. And that's the other thing is I recognize that I've missed shows. Yeah. Because I'm like, why don't you fucking call me, man? And it's like, it's on, I've put it on Instagram like for the last five weeks. I'm not on Instagram anymore. Yeah, well, Like you, mi- you miss those connections, you know what I mean? I completely yeah. understand the reality of it as a, a, a means of communication. But for me personally, I just noticed that it was triggering some not good things. Yeah, so yeah. I, So I just, I, just, I just take a break from it. So I um, think that's smart, man. I think that's a really healthy way to be. Yeah. I, I'm, doing, um, I'm doing some new like experiment. <laughs> I'm trying to explore my own psychology through social media now because I realized that this is a sore spot for me. Like I didn't have, I never, um, I was active on my Facebook for fucking ever. I didn't know what the thing was. I didn't really get it. And, um, so now that I, I know that I have to use it as a means of producing this podcast and getting it out there. And I am grateful that obviously people can hear about what I'm doing. The only reason people listen to this thing is because I keep putting it out there. So, um, I'm glad for it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make this thing my bitch. You know what I mean? I'm going to figure out how I can turn social media into something that I use productively for my own mental health and for everybody else's. So I play around with all kinds of weird shit. Like yesterday, oh, fuck. I'm still like in the throes of embarrassment about this. I'm, I'm embarrassed I'm even going to tell you about this, but it's happening now, so it's, it's coming out of my mouth. Okay. All you right. can stop now. <laughs> you can stop it right now. It doesn't have. There's still time. You can stop right now. But if you feel comfortable enough in the 45 minutes that we've known each other to tell this story, I'm all ears. That's the podcaster in me coming out. Come on, tell me. Well, this um, so like because I've uh, I've noticed that I have a tendency to attach my self worth 
to the things that I'm doing on my social media. And I make fun of a lot of people for this, like people that put up a selfie face and then they're like, oh, be yourself. Yep. And then I'm like, obviously that's not your face. You got to filter on that. Nobody makes that face in real life. This, you're, you're just, this is bullshit. Yep. So I will make a stupid face and put it on my social media. But then still I'm judging the reaction of that to like how good I am as a person. Like, oh, people get me there, think I'm funny. Do another one. You know what I mean? So even though I'm making fun of somebody else for trying to get validation on the internet, I'm doing it the same fucking way. So what I did yesterday. That's what that platform's built for though. Oh God. I um I noticed that like after I wash my clothes, I put them out on the line. Is this the embarrassing part of the story? Okay. So I wash my clothes, I put them out on the line, and I go to put them away, and all of my clothes are perfectly intact except for my underwear. My underwear all have holes in the underwear part that is the underwear part. Yeah, sure. The right under the underwear part. Okay. (laughs) There's holes in it. So, like, animals are eating my underwear (laughs) at the critical point (laughs) where the underwear is. So I'm like, so I thought it was a funny concept that, like, Either my washing machine is like crazy efficient and it is washing my underwear so well that it's like actually eating holes (laughs) out of the dirty part of my underwear or it's not cleaning them at all and nature is doing the rest of the job for my washing machine, right? So So did you post this? Yes. So like what kind of fucking psychopath? So I thought this was funny. It's a funny concept. But because I'm a fucking insane psychopath and I'm like, oh, look, this will be funny for the internet. I put it on my story. On Instagram, took a picture of it, put it on my story, and then sent it away. And I didn't think twice about it. I was like, oh, that's a funny idea. And I was going about my life. And then I went back onto my Instagram for something, and I saw the story come back from, you know, like after you have a break of doing something, yeah. and you look at it, and it's like a new perspective. I was filled with hot shame. Just so much shame. Like, what kind of fucking psycho puts a picture of her underwear on the internet? Do you know what? I, I think that's the comedian coming out in you. Oh, yeah, possibly. You, I mean, do you do you mind me saying that? Like, I think that's that whole like, like I don't give a fuck. This is this is funny to me. Yeah, so what? I'm gonna yeah. T- I'm gonna tell this joke. And who knows that a comedian who might do something like that on their own social media profile might have that same hot shame later on, just going oh, fuck. Yeah, like 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 the, like the joke they tried that bombed. Like <laughs> yeah. later, I don't know if your well, un- right. underpants thing bombed or not. Like maybe it was a huge hit, but but and so that's the thing. So I saw this. I felt this horrible shame inside myself. And there's a delete button right there. And I was like, oh, great, just fucking delete it. You're an idiot. And then I said, no, wait a second. Now, now okay, this cool. is actually your chance to deal with your psychology, Lorna. Yeah. You've made a thing. You're embarrassed about it. Now fucking sit in it. And deal with it. And don't let this thing define you. And now, so it's my 24 hours. I'm like counting down the minutes. Like I think the 24 hours is almost up. Now I've just made it in, immortal for time. Sorry, yeah. everybody. But Now it's going to be gone by the time this is online. So. Yeah, thank God. So yeah. no one can go back and see it. <laughs> unless someone fucking screenshot it or whatever. And they're like, ew, Lorna. Um, nobody likes me that much. You know what I mean? No one gives a fuck. And that's the main thing to remember is that like, yeah, sometimes you make a joke that doesn't land. You're going to do something stupid. And I think if that is a, a road that I want to pursue, and especially like I'm going to be doing a lot more live podcasts where I have this interaction with people out there in the real world, I have to 
come comfortable with the fact that sometimes I want to do shit that is questionable and mm. embarrassing. It felt funny to me at the time. It was a thing I did. And then it's okay. It doesn't define me as a human. So this is my new attitude towards social media. I don't know if it's going <laughs> to check back with me in like six months, see how my mental health is going. Did you, did you say you want to take this? That was one of the big things I did when I wanted to do podcasting. And I tried it a couple of times. I wanted to take it on the road as much as possible. And like yeah, I, I was going to be, I had all these like, I had all these ideas that I was going to be like, at live shows and doing live podcasts at like this big, like this, some big international band was touring and I'd be up the back talking to them and talking to punters and then I'd bring in visual aspects and all this sort of stuff and I just never got to it. Okay. But is that something you want to do? You want to like, yeah, when I, I don't, don't want to reveal some of the thing, ideas that you've got coming up that you told me about, but um, there's some fantastic stuff. If any, for people who are listening, We've got some exciting Yeah, there's, there's some cool life. ideas coming up. I really like it. Yeah. Some of the challenges you're setting yourself. Yeah. I love, I love this fucking... And I think it's because I stopped fighting, so I need something else to punch me in the face. Like, I need yep. my life to <laughs> come after me a bit more. I need that challenge. But I think... Uh, can I come see you when you try these new challenges that you've got coming up? They sound interesting. Well, yeah. Yeah, man. I'll let you know when they okay. happen. It'll okay. be nice to have a friendly face. In the as crowd. long as it's not too far away. <laughs> yeah. I'm not, I'm not part of your network yet. So, yeah, um, exactly. So, so you can't judge me too Yeah, bad. exactly right. It's, I'm just another <laughs> face in the crowd, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it would be... That when I think of, like, my all-time end result goal of this thing is that, like, if I'm doing something that means enough to enough people that they would leave their house and sit in a room... And listen to me talk to somebody, I'd be doing my job, I think. Like, I just, the ultimate feeling to be sitting there in a room and having a room full of people laughing, watching, interacting, getting ideas. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. But, but I don't think you can even look at it like that. Like, the stuff that you're doing here, the way I look at it, the, the, the whatever amount of time we've been sitting here having a conversation, you're doing a positive thing for your, yourself right now. Do you know what I mean? Like you could be sitting on your phone, yeah, yeah. but you're not. You're talking to me. Yeah. And I, I'm not that important, you know what I mean? But I don't think we've talked about bullshit. We've talked about some, some pretty important stuff. So yeah, don't, I don't think you can just think about it of, oh, if I'm making a difference for other people. That's fine if you've got that in your head. But you also have to go back that even if no one listened, you've had an intelligent conversation with someone for the last 45 minutes. You have worked different parts of your brain. Yeah. Maybe we've learned, I've learned something off you today. Yeah, fuck yeah. So yeah. how is that not a good thing? If it's just me and you and the, and the black hole of the internet and no one else is listening right now, you've taught me something. Take yeah. that away from today. You could have been sitting, doing nothing, getting a tan, whatever. Yeah. You know, you're having a chat here. getting fake tits so that I fit in. No, no. I think you, it's, <laughs> and that's the thing, you know. Again, we talk about it and I give this, I, I feel like I can give good advice to people sometimes and I hope my friends can appreciate that as well. But um, I can give that advice, but taking it on myself sometimes is, is, oh, is a difficult hard. thing. But I think like it's a and positive it's walking, thing. You know? I think it's always like walking that tightrope of like remembering that this moment is the most important moment. And in order for this moment to happen, those other big moments, like the multiple people moments happen. And then you come back to this moment, like the end all be all isn't selling out a theater and having everyone clap and say your name and throw flowers at you. Because at the end of the day, sitting in this room and having a good connection with someone is what the goal is. Yeah. Ha sitting down and drawing a drawing that I feel connected to is a goal, but it's only half of the goal. The other half of the goal is giving that drawing to someone that connects to it too. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and as you said, you fucking touched on it perfect. You said it's connection. And I think, that, I mean, really at the core of almost everything that means anything in this life, it is connection. Yeah. And that's why it's, 
And for me, it's always been music and then eventually storytelling, whether it be, you know, as I said, in particular documentary storytelling. I just... Uh, I'm excited to see what you make, man. Yeah. And you've got one out at the moment. It's called The Other Option. Yeah, so that's... that's it's, it's a little old now. It's like uh, I released it in... Uh, oh, jeez. 2016? 16, I think it came out. So, um, yeah, that's a documentary uh, about the... Um, essentially the underground touring circuit that started in Southeast Asia. And um, it was essentially, no one from Southeast Asia has told me I've got this completely wrong. And it's a, it was essentially a big part of it was Australian bands making connections with people over there and starting that touring circuit. And then it just, it went from no one being there in the late 90s to being, you could be a no one band. You could have played five shows in your in your garage and then all of a sudden if you reach out to some kid from Southeast Asia, they're like, yeah, you want to do an international tour? I'll book you five shows. Yeah. And, and there's hundreds of people I know. in the audience. And that's why I ended up interviewing and I've told this story a million times in talking about the film, our, our, our mutual friends in the band Not Okay. One of the reasons I was drawn to their story in my third episode or whatever of my podcast was like, no one knows you. How did you pay, play in front of 500 kids in some random city in Indonesia? And just telling that story was was interesting to me. And it turns out that it, it I, I truly believe it was Australian bands had a big part of it. Obviously, the work that the Southeast Asian kids and promoters and whatever you want to call them made a huge difference. They had to do the work, but it was it was the the, the Australian bands taking the plunge, and then it became a legitimate touring spot. Which yeah. was, um, but yeah, that was I'm I'm proud of it. Um, I'm proud of the storytelling aspect of it. I I think I got the story right, and I think for for someone who had only done like web based documentary series previously to actually do a 90 minute sort of feature on it i feel like i brought it together pretty well yeah. visually it is horrific <laughs> it is like now that i've been as i said away doing a bit of an apprenticeship actually working on video sets and realizing what it takes to actually make something look nice yeah. um i'm a bit embarrassed by that um extent the shit out of focus it's just like the stuff filmed on an iphone whatever it, it, it was a diy film but um, the storytelling aspect of it, I'm really proud of. And um, I definitely want to go back to it. I've got, um, I've actually, I've pitched some ideas that have already got shot down. So um, about doing more documentary, some music based stuff. Um, but I've got one that I think, um, uh, I think it'll make, I've, I've got one on the, on the back burner until, as I said, I learn my craft and I'm ready to pitch it and to find the right people to help you with the money to do it that I think could make a, um, hopefully make a big difference in this country. I won't reveal too much what it is. Yeah, I mean, but, um, cool. but yeah, I always want to – I definitely want to go back to it. I got scared off – one of the there's – a, there's a particular director that I know of that went and made a quite successful um, Australian documentary here and he said to me, don't try and make documentary films. You're not going to make any money out of them. And I respect this guy immensely and he also makes TVCs and that's where he makes his money to be able to support his family and all that sort of stuff and that's fine, like television commercials and social media videos and whatnot. And I was like, for a while I was like, oh, I can't make documentaries anymore, I don't make any money. But, and I'm like, I respect this guy, he's told me that it's, like, it's, a, it's a dead end and his was in cinemas and all this sort of stuff and, and he came out and said I didn't make any money out of it. So, and that really bummed me out and then I was like, you know what? And it's been a point recently where I'm like, 
you know what? There's been other moments in my life where I've listened to that person. Like I always wished I'd done journalism in school, funnily enough, because I love doing documentaries. I always wished I did it and I didn't do it because I let fucking some jerk scare me out of it. Some guidance yeah. counsellor somewhere told me that uh, there's no jobs. It's really difficult to get jobs in that. So I went and did Go like... Go business. Exactly right. I did business communications. Exactly. Ah. And now I think I would be so far along with my end goal if I hadn't listened to that person, yeah. done journalism. Maybe that would have led more quickly to the kind of... Um, visual stuff I love, which is unearthing archive footage, doing interviews, all that sort of stuff, like the, the stories behind the stories. Uh, maybe I would have been there more quicker than I've come yeah. the roundabout way to do it. So when this guy told me, as I said, a person who's really respected me, I've actually gone now, fuck that, I don't care, I'm going to go back to it. Yeah. 100% okay. I'm going to go back to it because... And now you've got that foundation, you've got the skill, you'll fucking smash it. Hopefully, yeah, yeah. hopefully. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm learning how to do it so when I go to do it this time around rather than um, the other option, I've got a bit more of an idea of exactly what goes into a film. It was an incredible learning experience though, that, that film. I'm still getting... People still order DVDs from like overseas and stuff, so, which is cool to be able yeah, to send cool. them out. So if people want to find you, they can find you at... Um, uh, it's, uh, well, the film is at the other option. Um, Dot com, I think it is. Otheroptionfilm.com. But just Google the other option film, bam, you're straight there. Um, yeah, DIY Wireless, the, the podcast's still up. I think I'll be taking it down one day. Those, oh, those, those, 50, oh, it's a it, those 53 odd place. episodes that are there. Um, yeah, some, some of them really good. Some of them, as I said, the early ones are quite, quite bad. But um, yeah, I had some interesting conversations with people over the years, that's for sure. And I definitely don't regret it. It was a it's a massive learning curve for me, and I've got utmost respect well, for people like you who uh, who are who are doing it also. So continuing forward. That's right. Yeah, man. Well, I'm happy that it existed, and I'm happy that I found you through it. So yeah, thank you so much. No, thank you for inviting me down. It's been lovely to have this kind of chat. As I said to you before, don't don't ever degrade these kind of chats, even if it was just us. It's it's important shit. So. Fuck yeah. Man. All right. Well, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Lana. Hello again. That was Rowan Thomas. You can find out more about him at DIYWireless.com or check out the other option film. And stay tuned for more cool shit from Rowan Thomas as he finishes his, as he calls it, apprenticeship um, doing corporate video production for a little while until he makes some more mad documentaries. Thank you, as always, for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can do that at Patreon dot com slash Lorna Bremner or please just share it with your friends tell your friends whatever do all the nice things that you always do it helps me out immensely thank you have a great week Bye.